With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hey, everybody, this is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Bob Ekayeri, and I'm joined in this excellent adventure by Shahan J. Raja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can always find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have highlights of the show, run polls, then you can give us your feedback. We're a podcast first and foremost, so we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your shows. Good reviews help people find us. So as in this run-up to the national championship that's coming up here, we decided to have kind of a special show, a bonus show, if you will. I'll let Shahan introduce our guest because this is one I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, thank you, New Dad, for, for introducing me. Uh, I would like to welcome back Old Dad, Doug Maurice. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Am I going to cry? I might cry. It's so good to be back. Why did I ever leave? What am I doing? Uh, It's so good to be back. It's so good to be back on the Survivor Show. What a wonderful thing. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Well, you know... uh Obviously, for people who who might not know, Doug has a new show now called Kings of the North. It's exactly what it sounds like. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. so much of the conversation on college football is Southern based. A lot of the media in this sport is very Southern. And Doug saw an opening. Doug saw a need. And he is the new face of Northern college football. Oh. And I was I was telling Doug before the show, man, uh, he decided to start this podcast with me. And then immediately we expanded to a 12-team playoff. He decides to start Kings of the North. And look at that. We've got two Northern teams in the national title game for the first time since 2014. When was the last time before that even that we've had two Northern teams? Because there had been some Southeastern team or Southern team all the way back to 2005. 2004 was USC versus who, who was that year? Well. I mean, we there have only been two two northern two northern national champs in the past twenty five years, and it's Ohio, Ohio State in 02 and Ohio State in fourteen. So, like, we're back to sort of like pre BCS. You know, Nebraska and Michigan shared it in ninety seven, but the only other year, like in the last twenty five years, where we've had a year like this was like you said, Ohio State Oregon in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, and and obviously that was a wild series of events that it took to get us to that one, and so and and I do want to say right like. Ohio State, obviously a Northern team. I want to put them aside a little bit. Obviously, you know, Doug has a lot of familiarity with them, but 
the way that they approach the sport, I would say, is a little different than like Michigan mm-hmm. is a true blue, no pun intended, Big Ten team. And so I do want to talk about them a little bit and especially what's transferable. So, I mean, to ask a big picture question, how did this happen? We, we have seen this move towards the south, towards the southeast, towards the top, not 10 teams in the talent composite, but the top like three teams in the talent composite. Yeah. We got number 14 versus number 26. We got two teams from the north. We got a real Big Ten team against a real Pac-12 team. How, how did this happen? So I think two things are at play. I think one is the portal world and NIL has brought the top of the sport down a little bit. And you think about like Alabama, right, just had 10 guys jump in the portal the minute after their loss to Michigan, right? We we see a lot of these top teams where you're thinning out your depth. You have some highly recruited guys who, if they don't play after a year or two, they bolt. Uh, and I do think that, you know, everything like Texas A&M did in being very aggressive in recruiting, they're, they've probably taken a couple guys over the years who in, in the past would have gone to Alabama or Georgia. So I do think the top has come down a little bit. And I think we all would admit that, right? I, there wasn't a team in the South this year that was as dominant as the Georgia team from two years ago, for instance, or the LSU team from 2019 or the Bama team from 2020. You know, we, we often talk about super teams. I, I don't know that the era of the super team is dead, but I think the quality is just down a little bit, which gives a lot more teams a chance. And then I do think the North has risen up. And I do think this is sustainable. I think all the money that these Northern teams make, you know, a lot of that's Big Ten, but everything they make from TV, they, they've they raised the level of coaching, I think, to a, a fairly significant degree. You think about how good Kalen DeBoer and Jim Harbaugh are at their jobs. You think about the moves Jim Harbaugh made with his assistant coaches after the 2020 season, how good Sharon Moore is, how good Jesse Minter is. I do think that quality has risen to where the Big Ten, where the Big Ten of the North was years ago. And I do just think generally, again, you think about the portal – Bo Nix at Oregon, Michael Penix at Washington. Um, there are things that are happening now that wouldn't have happened in the past. And so I do think it's it's a flattening out of the sport, which gives the North more opportunity. And I do think this is real, and I don't think this is going away. You know, it's an interesting question. At what point will we know that this is more of a trend than it that, – that it's more than just a, a short-term trend and it's a long-term um, – a long-term change. I mean, is a 12-team playoff next season, when we see more teams involved, probably a lot of the at-larges are going to be biased towards the uh, the two super conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. What would you look for to see that this, this shift is happening? And I'm not necessarily saying we're going to get a total shift to the North being the power, but this kind of equitable yeah. equitable situation where football is is frankly more enjoyable for more of the country. Yeah, so I do think it's sustainability for teams like Michigan, Washington, and Oregon, what you see them doing now. Michigan's done this three straight years. Why would this stop for Michigan? Even if Jim Harbaugh leaves, why would this stop for Michigan? I don't know that it's going to. And if if Washington and Oregon, after losing Michael Penix and Bo Nix, can keep it going, they've gone in the portal again for quarterbacks. They do need to develop some of their own quarterbacks. I don't think they're going to go away. And then also, you still need other Northern teams to take another jump. Penn State needs to take a jump up to this level. I do think like Wisconsin and Nebraska need to rise up at least a little bit with their their new first-year head coaches from this year. So I, I do think right now, and I would ask you, I would ask you guys this. I think because it's I think it's the top. I still think like the 
the middle of the South, the high middle of the South, I think is better than the high middle of the North. But I think Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington as the four best teams in the North this year were as good as Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, and Texas as the four best teams in the South. And I don't think that's only in the playoff where we saw it come true, but I thought it was during the course of the regular season. Uh, Do you guys agree with that? Again, it's not just about two Northern teams in the title game. It's that, you know, sort of that, that, that upper tier I think is equitable now. No, I think that's a great point. And look, the reality is, and we've talked about this dynamic repeatedly on the show, but there, the, the concentration of talent in the South is obviously just something that gives a higher floor to a lot of programs, right? That, that's just reality. But I do think that when you look at, you mentioned the top teams. I mean, there was a time when it felt like the SC was going to get two of the top three teams in the entire country, whether or not they won the national championship. Like they were just, you know, two of the top three, three of the top five, four of the top eight. And we've reached a point where obviously with Michigan, they're, they're a mainstay in that top group. Uh, I think with uh, Ohio State, they've been a mainstay in that group. And then you add, like you mentioned, Oregon and Washington, Penn State's been a mainstay in the top 10 at this point. And I actually think, too, you know, when you look at the gap between the very top of the SEC and the high middle of the SEC, I mean, I I feel like the high middle of the SEC is kind of in a weird place right now where, you know, like Ole Miss is great. And and I mean, Ole Miss crushed Penn State, of course, in their last game. But like he can't hang. They can't hang with those top two teams. They they lost by two touchdowns when they played uh, Alabama earlier this year. They lost big when they played Georgia this year. And I think that we have seen a little more of, especially when you talk about Oregon and and Washington as those two teams that are about to enter the league, I think we've seen a little bit more competitiveness. And I I am curious, you know, when I watched these two games on Monday, God, that feels like a lifetime ago, uh, it felt like one of the things that both Washington and Michigan did so well was using misdirection. That it wasn't just, you know, I think that especially we reached a point in the sport where everything was about spread in space and it was about get your playmakers into space and just let them win one-on-one matchups. That's not what exactly, especially the Michigan game felt like. And I look at a hire like Andy Kotelnicki at Penn State. I mean, that is the ultimate, uh, you know, side to side. That's the ultimate window dressing type of hire. Do you feel like, with Sharon Moore, with Ryan Grubb, with Andy Kotelnicki coming in, that there has been sort of a schematic shift in that way to maybe using more, uh, I I mean, treating it more like chess than maybe just trying to spread the field and and let playmakers work. How how many shows did we do together, Sean? (laughs) How many shows did we do? A lot. (laughs) A lot. Am I a scheme guy? I'm not the scheme guy. You're the scheme guy. (laughs) Jahan's like, break down scheme, Doug. It's like, what? No, Doug's the guy who shouts all the time. So I will yield to your point on that. But I do think there, I do think there's there's something at play here, which is especially in that Alabama-Michigan game. For as long as I've been covering Big Ten football, going back to 2005, the athletes in the trenches has always been a difference maker, right? Like I, I, I can go back to the 2007 national title game, Ohio State-LSU. 2008 title game, 2007 season, when LSU had Glenn Dorsey and Ricky Jean Francois at defensive tackle. And it was like, well, 
They don't have those guys in the North. Okay. I don't like, what do you, how do you do that? So to me, a world where, where Michigan is putting Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant on the field at defensive tackle. And, and you can match up there. You can be athletic there. You can collapse pockets there. And then when Michigan believes it has seven offensive linemen who are NFL quality and they can lose Zach Zinser, who's probably the best guard in college football, and put Trent A. Jones at right tackle. He played great at Alabama. You kick Carson Barnhart inside. Like that, the athletes, the talent on the lines, which then leads to you can do some misdirection. You can get guys out. You have linemen who can move, who can be athletic. I think that is a place where we often talk about the athleticism at the skill positions, right? But it's the athleticism in the trenches where often the North has fallen behind and not been able to keep up. And I think Michigan is a spectacular example of, all right, that gap doesn't feel as big as it once did. And and I think that is a huge deal. But again, the idea... When they when the Big Ten started the Big Ten Network, when the Big Ten decided to expand to, to New Jersey, right, and all these things, I always said, "What's the money for? All the things you're losing, the tradition that you're losing, right? What what are you gaining? It's like, well, you're gaining money. What are you going to do with it? We're going to spend it on coaches. So that idea is like, okay, Penn State doesn't like how the offense worked this year. They have a five star quarterback in Drew What are you going to do? Go get a dude who can scheme it up." And, and throw some money at the guy, win battles. Ohio State won a battle to get Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator a couple of years ago. So I do think that, again, you got. there used to be a time when Big Ten coaches would leave because they felt like their staffs weren't getting paid enough, they weren't getting paid enough. Brent Bielema left Wisconsin to go to Arkansas because there wasn't enough money at Wisconsin. Like That's not happening anymore. And so I do think the quality of coaching in the North has risen, and scheme guy, I think you're noticing it. You know, Doug, what, what you talked about kind of made me think of, are are we going to see a shift in how these schools spend the money? Are we going to see a little less on head coaches, a little more, frankly, on NIL to get these kinds of athletes there? And the coordinators who can scheme up, who can, and, you know, quite frankly, we always underrate the uh, the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. guys who yeah. can build up. Because I think, you know, when we're talking about Michigan, we, we know a lot of their their talent, especially on the line. They've, they built it themselves. It wasn't like they didn't, you know, Deion Sanders and just like grab a bunch of guys from the portal. They, they built that group. They built that line. So do you think this kind of looks towards a greater shift in how programs are going to be run? So I hate how much coaches make. So it's like a part of me is like, they sh- nobody should make this much. Assistant coaches shouldn't make this much. I think assistant coaches are interchangeable. I think your program is about a head coach who establishes culture and scheme and good players. But, right, you got to keep up. So I do think this is right. Phil Longo at Wisconsin as an offensive coordinator, that's a potential difference maker, right? We saw what Tony White did as a defensive coordinator at Nebraska with Matt Rule this year, going from Syracuse. You you used to see – like. a big one for me, and I keep citing this Wisconsin thing because Brett Bielema made such a big deal when he left Wisconsin. Like, you're not paying my staff. Dave Aranda, who's a California guy, but like made his bones as a defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And then he winds up being a Southern guy because he goes to LSU for the money. Now he's at Baylor. Like, to me, it's a bit of a brain drain, right? The North can't have guys that they develop. It's like, hey, we've, we got this guy. We gave a guy a chance. But then as soon as he established himself here, then the South threw money at him, and now he's down there. So like that world 
where when you have great coaches, you have to promote them and keep them and pay them as much as I am reluctant to do that. I think that is super important. And yeah, I got to spend money on NIL, but anything's better than spending money on waterfalls and locker rooms, right? So <laughs> as long as like, if this is the new world, pay the assistants who matter, get guys who establish culture and scheme and, and identity as a head coach, and then make sure you're keeping up an NIL. That's a better use of your money. Well, I'm curious. Just, again, I said we didn't want to talk too much about Ohio State because they're a little bit of a of a different animal. But like, you still, after watching what Jim Knowles did this year, and after watching what Ryan Day didn't do this year, you still have kind of that opinion that these are just middle managers who are interchangeable. I think at the best schools, you should always be able to attract talent and pay talent, right? So uh, there are exceptions to that rule. Right. But to me, it's like, well, Ohio State should never have bad coordinators because people want to work at Ohio State. So when you have a bad coordinator, it's a bad hire. That's on you. But the idea that like, oh, my God, we have to pay this assistant. How could we live? It's like Ohio State's lived for 130 years. It's not about assistant coaches. It's about the people at the top. But Ryan Day needs to hire a play caller. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like you know, like the, the thing to me is that there should always be somebody who wants to work at Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Washington and Oregon. So don't wrap yourself in, in, in get confused and think our success is built on this assistant coach, right? And we have to pay that assistant $4 million. There, like there has to be a line. There has to be a line. And, and it still starts with – like head coaches in the end, as much as like Nick Saban, right? People don't like what head coaches make. Nick Saban's worth $40 million to Alabama, isn't he? I mean, could yeah, you put what? Oh, what for sure. Like, wh- how can you put a price on that? But there's he, he's no. Supposed, he's the poster child for, you know, a Northern team letting a coach go. I mean, let's be yeah, honest exactly. here. True, true. The true. guy's from West Virginia, made his bones at Toledo with the Cleveland Browns, Michigan State. And then, right, he should be, he should be the head coach at Ohio State. What are we talking? Let's go back and build that counterfactual. What if Nick Saban, <laughs> 1998, beats Ohio State at Michigan State, and Ohio State's like, that's it. Cooper's not getting it done. Nick Saban, you're our guy. Why did that? I never thought of that before. <laughs> Why did that happen? You can't fire John Cooper. He, he wins enough. You know, going 56 and 7 is pretty cool. You're bringing, you're coming, you're, here comes a Ryan Day point. You're making a Cooper <laughs> Ryan Day comparison. That's a backdoor Ryan Day comment right there. I, I did no such thing. I didn't know such thing. I, I do want to ask uh, one other question. So I feel like obviously the comparison is going to be made between the Big Ten and the SEC, and we can include all the new teams as well. One thing that I feel like I notice as somebody in Texas who's around the SEC, who's around the South, is the SEC, it's actually very NFL in this way, where it is so incestuous. It is always, we got to hire a guy who knows the SEC. We got to understand the SEC. Uh, you know, there's a great podcast, Split Zone Duo, uh, that I highly uh, encourage people to check out. They have a game that they play called Beamer Chadwell. And the idea was back, you know, 2020, whenever it was, when South Carolina was making a hire, they had an opportunity to hire either a Beamer, which is Shane Beamer, somebody who knows the SEC, somebody who's deeply involved, et cetera, et cetera, or a Chadwell, somebody who's a really good coach, who schemes up really well, uh, who's won everywhere that he's coached. And they basically said, in the SEC, the game is dead. They are always going to hire a Beamer. And I look at... Liberty, who just played the Beamer-Chadwell game, Hugh Freeze leaving, <laughs> Jamie Chadwell coming in, and they achieved way more with Jamie Chadwell than they ever achieved with, with Hugh Freeze. 
I'm curious from your perspective. I, I don't feel like this is a funny thing to say. I don't feel like that pretentiousness exists in the Big Ten, which is a very what? that's the funny, first time that's that ever is been the said. first time anybody's ever said that phrase. But do you think that when you look at when you look at I mean, even like Indiana hiring the James Madison coach, when you look at Penn State bringing in Kansas's offensive coordinator, when you look at just uh, Jonathan Smith going to Michigan State, do you think that this lack of pretentiousness in coaching specifically, there's plenty of other pretentiousness out there, has helped advance Big Ten coaching in a way that when you look at Miss, when you look at uh, the SEC and it's like Mississippi State hired Ole Miss's old offensive coordinator and you know that sort of thing. I do believe culture fit is a real thing. I'm scarred by Rich Rodriguez, as a lot of people in the North are, right? It's like that that didn't feel like a fit and and it didn't work. So, but I but I do think maybe that in the North, because there is an assumption that you can't only recruit your way to success, that you do have to scheme it and 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 be have some ingenuity to that i do think maybe it opens them more to different kinds of coaches right and i think kurt signetti at indiana is a good example i think kalen DeBoer at washington is a good example um i i think that can create you just you don't have to take sort of like the next good old boy in the pipeline because you're going to have to be you're going to have to find a way rather than assuming that you know keep the boosters happy keep the donors happy it just means more down here there's talent all over the place that's enough so i do think like this i do think it opens something i think i think hiring Kansas offense coordinator is good kurt signetti from at, to indiana from jmu is good i think um fran brown as somebody making a leap, Jersey ties uh, a Georgia position coach to Syracuse is good. Whereas if you were in the SEC or you're in the ACC, would you feel like, well, like we can't do that. We've got to make sure we just take the next SEC coordinator who's lived in the South his whole life, where I think the North is open to more different kinds of coaches. To be fair, I, I want to point out that two of the the bluest blue bloods in the South have been burned by deciding to think outside the box. I think of Mike Price was at Alabama for mm. a hot minute, and we remember hey, how he that might turned have been out. Great. We don't know that. We don't know. We just well, know he couldn't yeah. handle. Well, he, UTEP. We well, well, went to UTEP, and you know, Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and then, and just just recently, Auburn went really uh, like Brian Harson, you know. And yeah. so we've seen them. We've seen them get burned pretty bad a couple of times. So I wonder. I actually think Brian Harson may have done more to entrench what Doug said than anything else. Because I think all the SEC schools looked at what happened at Auburn while Harson was there and are like, we're not, we can't do that. We, I mean, at best, if we're going to go outside of, you know, the SEC, we'll go to Florida State or, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll go to honorary Southern schools. Like it, the whole Dabo, you know, as a coach and waiting theoretically for Alabama that gets bandied about. They, they're going to, I think you're absolutely onto something there, Doug. They like to stay um, in that area. Uh, I don't know if I'll go as far as say incestuous as Shahan did, but uh, yeah, they definitely, uh, that's something there. I, I almost think the Harson thing could almost prove the point that like the culture demands it. The culture demands it that somebody like Brian Harson, who's just a winning football coach in Idaho, maybe is never going to work because they just like, they, they can't allow it to work. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, so the North is better. Bottom line, the North is better. <laughs> well, and and actually, I I just thought one thing on this point is like 
we saw the Harsening thing, I mean, for a million reasons, didn't work, right? Some of them were on-field football stuff. Some of them were people were mad that he didn't go to the golf tournament. Some of them were because, you know, just that sort of thing, right? Because I, I have, like, the, the counterexample right now of Billy Napier, who has had about as uh. much success as Brian Harson through two years, but obviously is being treated differently because there's the idea of him recruiting well, there's the idea of him doing the right things, the family rights, and... and Look, I, I don't know whether Brian Harson, if he had been given full leeway to be himself, ever would have worked. Like, it, it might have just not worked. But like you said, I mean, there is a level of confirmation to it, too, right? Like, Zach Arnett went five and seven this year, and they were like, nope, nope, that's that's not what it's supposed to look like. Nope, nope. Like, like Joe Moorhead, a similar deal at Mississippi State, where he had two winning seasons, and they were like, this is not what we want. This is not what it's supposed to look like. And it only got worse after he left, right? So I don't know. I mean... I think, like, I, I'm always hesitant to use words like this because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that Northern fans don't care as much because they absolutely care just as much. But I think that the there's a level of fear in the SEC, I think, of falling behind, whether or not you're already starting behind. And because of that, right, if you are... If you are South Carolina, the thought process is, well, at least as an AD, I'm not going to get fired for hiring Jamie Chadwell, who sucks, right? Alan Green is no longer the AD at Auburn because he hired Brian Harson. Like, that's how you get yourself fired. And if you don't do something like that, even if it doesn't work, it's not like you're going to get fired for it. I just thought of the idea that the, the, the two defining Southern coaches of this modern era of college football are Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, who are from the North. Anyway, so I do think that the idea that it just means more in the South, that they care more, people usually say that as a positive. And we talked about, I know you still talk about it, Shahan, but we talked about it a lot of the way Texas operates, they care a lot to their own detriment to some degree, right? Like you you don't have patience. You don't let things develop. And it actually held the program back. So I do think I would say that maybe the difference between a typical Northern program, and as you keep saying, Ohio State in a lot of ways is a Northern program that operates like a Southern program. So sometimes they're the exception to the rule in, in many different ways. But maybe generally the North is just, they still really care, but maybe not pitchforks and torches level of care, but the South acts like pitchforks and torches is better. That if you're not marching on the football building, if after they have two losing seasons, you don't care. Why is that better? Why is that the standard? That it has to be fanatical? It has to be ludicrous to prove that it matters? So I think maybe the idea in the North is it means the correct amount. It doesn't mean more. It means the amount it should matter to have a healthy, holistic life. Yes, you care on Saturday, but if your team loses, you're not firing somebody on Monday and your week's not ruined. Why is that seen as lesser as opposed to being seen as the way to live? Northern football, the way to live. You know, you made me think of one of the other incidents that I, I don't know if it was a defining moment for the passion in the SEC. But after one 
okay season. Lane Kiffin leaves Tennessee to go to USC, and they're like, there's like a, a minor disturbance on campus, which Tennessee fans like to downplay. But I remember when it occurred, it was like they're burning things. Well, you know, yeah. he was there for one season, and uh, um, and I always want you know this might actually go into a question I have for you, just because I know it's Kings in the North, yeah. and I love this idea. I love the concept of it. I went to a Southern California school. So it's kind of funny because if you talk to people, because I grew up in Southern California, I grew up in the armpit, I grew up in Bakersfield, which is more of the South, to be honest, but, um, you know, <laughs> at least in culture, but the, the concept of our, and they're joining the Big Ten now. Yeah. Uh, does that make them honorary Northern teams or do we kind of say that the Southwest, I mean, I don't know if you want for a King, uh, pardon me, a uh, Game of Thrones thing is, is Southern California, it's either fish or fowl. Are they like Dorn? Are yeah. they like this random kingdom that sort of in the <laughs> I'm story not following what's <laughs> happening right now? Yeah. So if there's anybody from Game of Thrones listening that wants to sue us, no, it's not related no, to Game of Thrones. Not. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. There's no. nobody associated with Game of Thrones. We've already got our season to this letter done. We don't yeah. need any more. <laughs> Then I don't want to get sued again. So then, I mean, like, yeah, but also, by the way, in the show, it's king in the north. We're of. So it's completely different. So It sounds we, different enough to me, and I'm yeah, an attorney. I, yeah, please, we might call you to testify when the, when the lawsuit <laughs> happens. The idea, like, I think USC and, and UCLA are very interesting. We're going to have to have a discussion about whether they're honorary members of the north. To me, there are really two things at play when we talk about northern football. There, There is a cultural thing, right? And so I think for that, USC and UCLA probably are like, more like the North, where people in Southern California aren't obsessive about their college football teams. But I do think weather and recruiting base is also part of it, too. And if there aren't a million talented high school football players right outside your door, you might be in the North. And and like <laughs> I think USC and UCLA don't fit there. And also, no. when you have players on recruiting visits, if it's snowing – you're in the north, and if you never have to worry about that, then you're not in the north. So, like, I did. Hey, a hey Washington, it doesn't really. Okay, I, I, Pacific Northwest people are kind of like, wait, you know, I know we're, we're, we have a reputation of being cold, <laughs> but they didn't take Wazoo; they took they took Washington. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's it's like I I did a recruiting book about Ohio State, and every guy from the south that I talked to, every story is like, and then I came on my visit to Ohio State and I saw snow for the first time. That's the north. Like you have a stumbling block to overcome. If weather on a recruiting visit is not a plus for you, it's a minus, you're in the north. So like USC and UCLA in that way, I, they're maybe honorary, but that's not the same thing as trying to get somebody to come to Madison, Wisconsin or, or Syracuse, New York. I'm, I'm now imagining, by the way, Minnesota, because I, I li now live in Minnesota. I did my grad degree there. I'm now imagining their their recruiting trip should involve taking the recruits in a car and like drifting on the ice. Because that to me was a new concept living in Southern California, <laughs> that you can drive onto a lake that's yeah. frozen in a car. Like that part, I knew there were ice fishing huts. I never thought about how they get them out there. But that's what they got to do. They got to take them out to Lake Minnetonka. You know, you know, smooth out the ice so it's nice and smooth. You know, because people don't realize, you know, the snow does accumulate on it, and just go ham, like spin out, go nuts, and and have that recruit truly realize how close they were to potential death, which they weren't. But in wow. their heart of hearts, they're from the south. They are. Don't tell them you're doing it either. Tell them you're just <laughs> taking them out to the lake. They're not a good. They might not even realize it's going to be frozen. How has PJ Fleck not hired you yet? What a recruiting pitch <laughs> that is for the Golden well, Gophers.
Uh, to the contrary, right? We've got a we've got an Ohioan and a Minnesotan here. I'm wearing a sweater. It's 55 degrees outside, so yeah. you know it's a, it's a little different down here. Um, <laughs> See, if if your state shuts down because the electric grid breaks when it's less than 45 degrees, you're in the south. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, your governor might be Greg Abbott. That, that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, but what do you think if you are not, you know, one of these teams that's already, you know, the the Oregon's, the Washington's, the Ohio State, Michigan, um, you know, maybe Penn State, we can put to the side, too. If you're not one of these teams and you are a northern team, what should you learn from this? And what are there any schools that you think will most be able to take advantage of the lessons of this year? Yeah, so I do think you've you've got to find a quarterback, right? So I like that. Duh. Oh but well, then the Big Ten's dead. It's over. Yeah, but well, but there's more opportunities to try to find quarterbacks in different ways, right? And so for Minnesota to go get the New Hampshire quarterback and for Indiana to go get the Ohio university quarterback and like that kind of thing, you do have to find that. But one of the, one of the clear lessons from this is in, in the portal world, you still do. I think for most of these Northern teams, you have to develop your own guys. I did. I checked the top 35 players, the the guys who play like more than 200 snaps for both Michigan and Washington. Uh, for Washington, 31 of those 35 guys are fourth, fifth, or sixth-year players. So they Washington is so old. Cincinnati, when it made the playoff, was so old. And so it, you know, there's Michigan really is a pretty darn talented team. Washington is a lot of fifth and sixth-year developed guys. And then where it matters, you have difference makers. So if you can get a difference maker at edge rusher like Braylon Trice, you get difference maker at receiver, you get a difference maker at quarterback. You can build a winner by developing sort of homegrown northern dudes. Now, of course, you know, Washington's doing a lot of work in California and recruiting, but I do think like there's a model there, but you can't close your eyes. I don't, I don't think you can just develop those homegrown guys and then be Iowa and then just like think you're going to run the ball and not have quarterback play or think that you're just going to like you can grind it out at the heart of your team, but then you've got to supplement either in the portal or maybe with some Southern recruiting at the positions that really matter. And so I do think that opportunity, go find a guy who was sitting on the bench as a receiver some school in the South or Ohio State or something like that and get that guy in. Use your NIL money to go get a guy like that, but don't think you're going to build your whole team that way. And by the way, Michigan and Washington, their top 35 players both have 27 who are recruited out of high school. So that's eight portal or junior college guys. For Michigan, it's eight portal guys. For Washington, it's six portal, two junior college guys. That's 80% of your team that's high school recruits. So don't think you're building a champion in the portal, but smartly use your NIL to supplement where it really matters. So going, you know, that brings up an interesting question. Does Colorado qualify as a northern team? It seems yes. like they absolutely Oh, yeah. Do. We took Dion right away. Yeah. They're in the mountains, man. And they have Dion. We're like, yeah, <laughs> they're in the north. <laughs> they don't country, D- baby, and northern program. <laughs> maybe maybe Dion doesn't realize it, but oh, yeah. We did a lot of Colorado talk this year. <laughs> At least in the first month. Say, I love this because your show is going to cover, you know, as it expands, it's covering now, especially next season, at least 
you know, several conferences and the big oh, yeah. 12 is absolutely going to be part of it with, with Utah and uh, with Utah and Colorado in there. Those yeah. two are going to be lovely to see in there. And BYU. Well, BYU was already yeah. there. What am I saying? And Cincinnati so, and, and Iowa Cincinnati. State and West yeah. Virginia. We have a lot of big 12. We have the best, the North has the best program in the big 12. Do you guys not agree that Utah is going to be the best football program in the big 12? Like go North. I think they will in 2024. It's going to be more complicated after that, but definitely in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the North is coming. Watch out. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just saw, uh, speaking of the North, um, I just saw that apparently Pete Thamel tweeted that uh, Boise State is the favorite to land Malachi Nelson through the portal. Oh, wow. To potentially... That's another example of this. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. those are absolute places where Northern schools need to win. Um, where did Malik Murphy end up? He ended he up at up- Duke. At Duke, I was disappointed in that because I think yeah. those are examples of guys like that's absolutely Malik Malik Murphy should have been at Pitt or something, right? Like that, you've got to go find those guys. But Malachi Nelson for Boise State, that's tremendous. That's how it yeah. works, baby. So let's get you out of here on this. We got two Northern programs. They're playing for a national championship. You've gotten a chance to watch them all year. Uh, we have, by the way, our preview coming out tomorrow on Friday, January 5th. I don't know. I can't keep the day straight. It has been quite a week. But uh, when you look at this matchup, clash of styles, clash of coaching staffs, completely different backgrounds, built very different ways in a lot of ways. How do you see this game going? Yeah, so I will say uh, both semifinals went exactly as I thought they would go. I picked Michigan and Washington to win, and I, and I just thought, I thought that matchup for Texas was just really rough of having, like, their weakness as a pass defense, and when Washington's healthy and people, I think, didn't count enough, that the, the loss of Jalen McMillan for the big chunk in the middle of the year, I think, helped Washington not look like Washington. They look like Washington again. And so when you, when you evaluate Washington statistically, when you look at, you know, the different inside numbers and that kind of thing, there's so much of that that's the team that didn't score an offensive touchdown against Arizona State. Like, that's not who they are anymore. So... This is also probably the best pass defense they face. Like, again, the weakness of Texas, either Michigan or Alabama was going to be much better in terms of the corners they put out there. Will Johnson got hurt in the Michigan-Ohio State game, but before he got hurt, he was following Marvin Harrison Jr. It was only the second time that a team had decided to have a corner go with Harrison for a whole game. I assume he's going to follow Romo Dunze. I don't know that anybody can take Romo Dunze away, but there are not a ton of teams that could take a corner like that and say, we'll take our shot, Bama would have been another one of them. So I do think it comes down to whether Washington can do its thing. And I think like this is an absolute aerial assault. And if you just throw three passes that are more than 10 yards in the air and Michael Penix's average depth of target, I think is like 10 point something. And you have to go one for three to get a first down. And that's what they do. They're about 57% pass, 43% run. I like it when they're closer to 60-40. I think in the, in the Texas game, they were like 55-45. Chuck it. Get out there and chuck it. Michigan has to march, march, march. Michigan is super consistent on both sides of the ball. I'll save my pick for our show, but oh. I just don't know. Oh, and I'm going to make you give you one more round of promotion for myself before I get out of here. But I, I just don't know. I just think, and I voted Michael Penix first on my Heisman ballot. And like this discussion of like, oh, I didn't know Michael Penix was so good. It's like, what are we talking like? I didn't, like, I know Jaden Daniels Watch was good. Jaden Daniels was good 
in a way that didn't matter because they didn't win their games that mattered. Michael Penix was good in a way that if he wasn't Michael Penix, they'd be eight and four. So I like I don't know. It's excellence in a way it could not matter more. So he should have won the Heisman. I think if Penix is Penix and that passing game is his passing game, I think Washington wins. The question is, how much is is Michigan built to slow that down and then try to grind out a win, you know, in the high 20s, low 30s? I think it's a great game. At the moment, my instinct is a little bit Washington because I just maybe think nobody can exactly stop that. And now, should I promote myself? Should I promote myself more right now? Go for it. Go for yes. it. This is all you. You people, if you guys listen to this back in when, when I was on, you understand. And if you listen to it now and you don't know who I am, and you're like, what? There's a guy on this before? Um, you understand what a tremendous co-host Shahan Jeharaja is. And for me to leave, Shahan, why would I, what, why would I ever leave? Why did I leave? It's because I think this thing can work. It's because I think we, we're trying to do this thing. So if you if you are interested in Northern football, we are contextualizing, celebrating, understanding, diving into culture, scheme, players, coaches, fans of Northern football, and also occasionally telling the South to cram it. Because sometimes the South needs to be reminded that it needs to cram it from time to time. We have a YouTube channel, KOTNCFB. We're going to start doing shows five days a week later this year. For now, it's once or twice a week. And you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, everything like that. Um, Kings of the North, KOTNCFB. And we're hoping we can uh, make people realize that Northern football matters too. Okay. I have one more one more actual question before, uh, before yeah. we get you out of here. Um, you mentioned that you like uh, sometimes telling people to cram it. So do you have yes, any comments on Iowa's offensive coordinator situation? Oh. So this, it's a wonderful situation the way it worked out because what happened is Iowa had a wonderful season, right? How can you deny that a 10-win season is a great thing? So Kirk Ferentz won, right? He won. They had a great year. Iowa fans won in a lot of ways, right? They had a lot of Saturdays to celebrate. But I also won because I was a 1,000% right every single step of the way it was a joke if they were even slightly competent on offense imagine what they could be and i do like the idea that like like everybody wants iowa to get ryan grubb now it's like oh so so you've gone from literally the worst offensive coordinator but ryan grubb grew up in iowa so now he has to go work for kirk ferentz what are we talking about that is not going to happen but just moderate moderate competence in iowa what might that look like I hope they hire somebody good. The Iowa fans deserve it. But if Kirk Ferentz thinks that I was wrong because they win t- won 10 games, I was right. And you won 10 games despite Brian Ferentz being an incompetent <laughs> person who never should have been in that job. For people who don't know, if you're not a longtime listener to this show, uh, Kirk Ferentz last year went off on a reporter saying – Oh my gosh, uh, like I, I woke up the next day and was like, at least I don't have to live my life being that guy because he questioned him about uh, <laughs> hiring his son as the offensive coordinator and keeping him. That man was Doug Maurice. That yeah. man who that Kirk Ferentz called out guy. was Doug. So, Bobic, you want to take us out of here? 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that you got you got vindicated um, in the most spectacular way possible, and I'm glad you did. Two hundred sixteen points out of three hundred fifty. That's how many he got. Two hundred sixteen. Well, as we were, for those of us who were tracking it, the funny thing was he had to score one hundred and thirty four points against Tennessee to ever even it out, which was which was even funny. It got so absurd as the year rolled on, and then they got shut out, which is even better. Like only this perfect bow a bow you couldn't have even scripted it better um <laughs> well thanks so much Douglas Maurice. it was great to have you back on it's it's big shoes to fill and again just to reemphasize y'all can find him on kings of the north it's on youtube wherever you get your uh, podcasts as well um that's uh the the uh, social media thing at the first is k-o-t-n-c-f-b um so find that on twitter find that on youtube you know it's great i enjoy it it's fun it's nice to see Someone supporting us teams, uh, those of us who grew up in areas that aren't necessarily the traditional South in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, so I wanted to also take a second to thank all of you listening. I want to thank our producer, Joy Alberti. Be sure if you get a chance, like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivors Show. He's Sean J. Araja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com and Sean J. Araja on X and TikTok. I'm Bob Ekairi from RCFB, the College Football section on Reddit. This is the College Football Survivor Show. Take it easy. Have a good one. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs>